You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Forty years are of this is Emeritus Rex with Rabbi Ruben Pupko from Montreal, Canada. Hello, I'm Avram Kivalevich. And I woke up this morning here in Jersey, uh, Rabbi Pupko, with a slight snowfall. And it got me thinking about something that uh, I think has been knocking around in my head for a while. But walking in the snow uh, reminded me that let's go back to a world pre-COVID when uh, people actually came. The world is a beautiful place. We are on the verge of utopia. (laughs) Yeah, well, a world where people were coming to show, people were meeting you. It wasn't virtual as it is today. And we know that there was uh, in many of our communities, especially let's say where you are up, you know, I'm in Jersey, you're in uh, Montreal. I think you're about 400 miles or 450 miles north of me. You know what it means to live in a community that's battered by weeks, by intense cold, snowstorms, blizzards, et cetera. I live in Chicago for 20 years. I know that as well. And we realize that a certain amount of the pop, certain section of our Jewish population, especially as they're older, and usually I would say those that have been smart enough to put money away, some of them actually extremely wealthy, they leave during the winter. And we used to call them snowbirds. I think they're still called that. Um, And they have either a second home in Florida, usually, but I assume now it's already extended to uh, California, Arizona, Vegas, um, maybe Eretz Yisrael as well. And these people uh, are, in a way, some of the times, people who helped build the community. But now as they've aged, rightly so, they feel that they want to take care of their health and they want to have perhaps extend their life by not having to be out there uh, in, in the driveway uh, shoveling snow and risking a heart attack. But what I was thinking about was, and I've seen it in my own eyes, is that these people have a little bit of a disconnect from the dynamic of the shul. On one hand, uh, they have a great history with the shul, but not with the present. The present shul might be the people who trudge through the snow, put on the very all the layers of, of clothing, get to the shul, make the minion, the young people that now have, can afford a house or a small or an apartment are now part of the uh, part of this uh, the, the the shul in the northeast or wherever it is in the north or the Midwest, and the snowbirds really don't even know them. The snowbirds aren't part of it. And then around Pesach time or so, the snowbirds land again, and sort of like uh, I, I'm reminded of the classic Dr. Seuss um, uh, story, uh, Horton uh, hatches the egg where uh, Daisy Head Maisie leaves the egg for the the adult uh, Horton who stays on that tree and keeps the egg warm. And then after she, when, when she realizes that it's time, she flies back and she wants to try to get her, her child back. And of course the child turns into a, a combination elephant and bird. But I think the, the, the metaphor I think is really inspired. <laughs> the, the snowbirds leave the egg to the the people who don't have the money yet and the young people. And then they want to come back like Daisy had Maisie and, uh, and reap the benefits of being a full shul member. Right. 
So I know that you live in Montreal. I'll tell you, you know, how, how do you react to this? Okay. I'll tell you something funny before I answer seriously. When I first moved to Canada, it was in the 80s. You know, the Cold War was still raging. And, uh, and, and I was astonished. Well, first of all, there's an enormous amount of snow. I mean, I grew up in Pittsburgh. I, and I lived in New York. I, I know what snow is, but there's an enormous amount of snow in Canada. And what was remarkable to me was the skill with which municipal authorities remove snow. I have never, did it, I, I still stand in amazement decades later, watching this ballet of trucks and plows and snowblowers and street uh, and, and, and sidewalk cleaners in an arsenal, the likes of which you could never imagine in America. Because what I realized was that while Canada were the, was the, were the beneficiaries of living under the, the military protection of the U.S. and the nuclear umbrella, and America was spending all its money on defense, Canada was spending all its money on snow removal. <laughs> so it, it, it was, I mean, it's breathtaking what goes on here. I mean, you've never seen anything like it. The immediately upon you know the snow arriving in my neighborhood in montreal you have i mean and they and they collect the snow they don't push it they collect the snow they blowers into pickup trucks and they have a huge dump on the edge of the city which is literally like an eight-story building by the end of the winter <laughs> huge pile huge pile and, and it slowly melts it takes to august to melt it, it is r- remarkable and so uh, Canada is really good at snow removal. However, your point is really, I think, part of a larger. You know, point. Can I interrupt you just for a second? Yeah, because sure. you got me. You know, two things there about what you said. You know, obviously it's colder up there in the northern yeah. climes, but in a way, the efficiency of the snow removal oh. makes makes it safer. I mean, I noticed this when I w- I lived in Chicago for twenty years, and Chicago, of course, uh, you, you hear about the windy city, right. and it, it it isn't as bad as Canada. But it is a large city, and you know the elections are won or lost in Chicago. Right. In New famous, York also, absolutely, the snow removal. Based on snow removal, and, 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 and the efficiency of removal definitely impacts the amount of deaths, the amount of spin-outs, uh, and, and the brains that people have in terms of driving as well. So y- you could say living more north is more dangerous in terms of ice and snow, but in a way, because of the efficiency of, of, of places like that, it actually needs to be, I, I would say, places more in the middle. <laughs> right, are the trouble. Right, absolutely. Yeah. I, so, I, what's interesting is here in, in Montreal, people are disappointed when it doesn't snow because they want the, you know, the, uh, they want to go skiing, they want to do cross country skiing, and they want the snow. They've embraced the winter. And, uh, and also, no Jew I know ever shoveled his own driveway in Montreal. They all have Italian <laughs> snow removal companies. So they don't really exert themselves too much. Also, when we were kids, um, not that people leave their cars outside anymore, but at least during the day, maybe, you know, cars wouldn't start. It would be so cold. So you had the jumper cables in the trunk. You don't sure. see that anymore. The cars are so much better. You know, I, you know, I leave my car outside my stroll over shop. It's minus 30. It's minus 30. And I have a regular Japanese car. And I get it, and it's never not started. I have a auto club membership for decades that I got when I first, you know, learned how to, you know, got my car or whatever. And I, I've used it a couple of times, mostly for other people. Sure. <laughs> you know, you know, it's a different world. I mean, it's a lot easier. But I, just to get back to the serious issue, 
whenever you deal with a Jewish organization, whether it's a show or anywhere else, you always have that tension, and it is a tension, between the past and the, and the present, meaning the people who had leadership roles in the, in, in the synagogue uh, years earlier, 10 or 20 and 30 years earlier, who are still present. And, and it, some of them always feel resentful that they're not getting enough credit for what they, you know, some people in the resistance to change. We always did it this way. Um, also, very interesting, synagogue constitution that lay out the executive of the synagogue uh, often were anachronistic in, the, in this regard. In other words, you go to a typical Jewish organization, let's say, uh, I, I don't know, uh, uh, Canadian Friends of the Tel Aviv University or uh, social service organization. So there's a constitution and there's an executive and then um, and, and then there's uh, term limits or whatever and how to vote and who gets to vote. Okay. Every and most organizations have a clause that says the past president is part of the executive, right? In the two years after his term, whatever her term, they stay as president. They stay on, on the executive. Synagogues had this crazy thing in their constitution, which was very dangerous. That all the past presidents would continue to be members of the executive forever, which is a very bad thing, right? And it's one of the things that was changed here in my synagogue took some time. And you're dealing with people's sensitivities. And it changed not just because people wanted it to change, but also because those who didn't want it to change either passed away or, or lost interest. But that's a real problem. And you can have an elected executive to run a show outvoted by the 10 previous past presidents who are still hanging around. That really is demoralizing for the younger people who are on the executive. You know, and, and that's a real problem. And that, I mean, that's a, that, that's a manageable problem. That's a serious problem. So I, I don't know how it is now in, uh, in, in, in other synagogues, but, uh, that was clearly a problem for me, but it, it changed, it changed over the years. And from what I understand in the synagogues that I'm familiar with, it, they had similar issues, which, which also changed, but it's a tough one because if you're, if you're legally <laughs> entangled by people who were president 20 years ago, Right, and have a very different outlook on uh, on the synagogue than the younger people do. Today, when I'm talking younger, I don't mean their children. I mean talking, you know, people 30, 40 years old. It, it, it can create a lot of tension. So, how do you honor the past without being handcuffed by the past? And that leads into the snowboard question. The older people go away, right? They come back. I remember I used to have a there used to be a much larger number of people who, who did that. Today, it's a little bit less. What I mean, it's a little bit less. That means the shul goers are less likely to go away. In other words, when I first came here, the shul goers went away. And I mean, the phenomenon is so pervasive in Montreal that they sell Montreal newspapers in, you know, in Hallandale newsstands. I mean, it's, it's, it, you know, and, and when I'm, and I usually go to Florida for a couple of weeks in the winter and I, I go to a shul, they ask me to speak. I, <laughs> I, I, I look at the crowd. It's, you know, three quarters of people are from Montreal. I mean, I don't know why. And I get up every I go, you came here to escape me, and I got you. You know what I mean? It's like, and and, and I'm not going to say from my show, but you're the Montrealers. I mean, the Montrealers are all over Florida. I mean, this year less than before because of travel and COVID, but they're still there. And um, and, and I remember the old debates with the guy was, do you give a guy an Aaliyah 
before he goes away or when he comes back or both. <laughs> <laughs> right. And they would all come back at the same time, right, right before Pesach. So we always had this problem of people with yard sites and people coming back from Florida. And you could never you couldn't give everybody, you know, you're up to the sixth or seventh day stuff, so there's a certain limit. And it used to be a much broader phenomenon in terms of the people davening going away. A lot of people still go, but they're not really the daveners. So um so I remember those conflicts, but uh, uh, but I think the real problem in any organization, whether the context is a shoal and snowbirds, the real the core conflict really is how do you manage a community uh, or an organization balancing the aspirations of the young versus the uh, you know the thinking of the of the older crowd, so, and that's a tough one. I, I agree, and and but I think here. What I, what I would hope could be articulated by people like yourselves and others who aren't threatening is, look, if you the, the shul has a life. It doesn't hibernate like a bear in the winter, although you say for a couple of weeks Montreal shuts down. Let's say that's an extreme situation. Yeah. But in most situations, the shul goes on yeah. and – the idea of the people that were there in the consistent method, always there, day in, day out, making the minion, it's logical, just by that that should be recognized as the people who are involved in forging this living organism, which is called a shul uh, community. No, therefore, let, let, no, me just, let me just articulate this if I can. I can't do it as quickly as you, but I'm going to try. I, I, I think that if you have the the older people, although they still are in a way entrenched in certain musagim of the past, but they are they are doing their duties. They are showing up. So yes, their their con- their concepts are maybe a little old fashioned, and maybe in a way they they live. Like most of us live, like we 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 discuss our glory days often on this little f- program that we have. So that's understandable, but they earn it at least for now by showing up, and, and therefore there's a leveler by being involved. So even though you're right, there is this sort of tension: where are we going? What type of rabbi do we want? What sort of shiurim do we want? Uh, what are we going to do about kriyas? There are all these things which could go the past and the present and the future. Everybody plays a role in it and can by virtue of their involvement. Now, obviously, it's easier for a guy with muscles and youth and energy and red cheeks to be able to get there where the older person can't. But pushing through and getting there with their canes and walkers and huge uh, uh, boat-like cars and getting there to shul, that gives them the right. So, So what I'm saying is, I think, and here's my point, I know I'm getting, when a person becomes a snowbird, the rabbi should talk to them and say, listen, we're so happy that you're going to have a greater quality of life and you'll always be respected here. But realize what this means. You you were the president, you can no longer be on the executive anymore. And the reason is it's not fair, right? It's not fair for someone to be just grandfathered in. Um, and I think if everybody recognizes that, they're going to say, well, hmm, on one hand, I could be part of this vital shul. On the other hand, I have to pay the Italian to come 
and, and, and get my uh, drive uh, cleared. And I also got to put on five layers plus uh, uh, three scarves uh, to get there on Shabbos. If I decide I'm going to spend on a nice beachfront house in Florida, then I have to realize that I resign some of my benefits. Does that sound strange? I think it sounds so logical. You, you tell me what you right. think. It, you know, I try to, it's so, it's, it's so specific to each individual because there are certain people who understand, right? That they're absent from the shul from after Simcha's Torah till Pesach. And they come back and they're there from Pesach uh, through, you know, through, through Sukkot. That obviously that diminishes their ability or even, I don't know if you want to say right, the, the right to, you know, have expectations about their own involvement and, and influence. And, and some people don't. But again, I think, you know, in the main, it's to the benefit of a show to keep the older guys involved. That helps everybody, right? But I think if you set up the right structure of decision-making, like I referenced earlier, you don't suffer the pitfalls of people who shouldn't have a say continuing to want to have a say. If you structure your, you know, the, the management of the synagogue correctly, it becomes less of a problem. Yeah, you know, I remember the you know, moments of tension where people came back and had certain expectations and as if they, they had been gone for 24 hours instead of five months. But uh, but generally speaking, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to try to keep... To, to, first of all, when they say we're talking, you're supposed to respect the, the, the old people. Uh, you're supposed to, you know, look after them. I mean, I know uh, of a show uh, uh, in the Midwest that uh, had a beautiful show for many years. And, they, and the younger people wanted to, you know, knock it down and put up a new show. And, and they were right. The old show, you know, didn't look so good anymore. And they had enough property. They had the wherewithal. To put up a nice new show. But the people who had, but there were people in the show who remember laying every brick in every campaign, with every plaque, who poured their lives and loved that show, built by survivors. And now it was their grandchildren who were switching it and other people's grandchildren. It was deeply painful. The show went through a wrenching period and, 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 and the show did, did it wisely. They, you know, they, did, they took, you know, serious steps to honor those who were still around from the, you know, from the building of the first one who are now very old, but still around. It still came to the show. And it's about COVID. In other words, if you talk to people, you know, straight and you, and you do what's right in terms of honoring and, and acknowledging the past and you set up your management structure so that COVID ends at the uh, at the border of decision making, <laughs> right? Right. So, right. If you manage it correctly, you can usually navigate these things. But the but the attitude, you're right. Some people go to Florida, they come back, they think they weren't away. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, Jews can be annoying. But again, smart lay leadership and smart rabbis, you know, can navigate these things. I don't. I've never had the need to have an explicit kind of conversation, like you've had. I think it's, it's rabbis need, in other words, if conversations like that were necessary because of people really overstepping their boundaries, I don't think that's a conversation a rabbi should have. Mm-hmm. I, I think that, you know, lay people have to manage that. Yeah, well, I, I, maybe you're right. Maybe it's not the rabbi. I, I think what, you, what you're saying, of course, is part of 
the the struggle of, of of human existence, which is recognizing that our time here on this planet is limited till we go to our reward, and how much we want to hold on to the conceptions that we were raised with, and how much we realize it's for the future. And again, it plays out in a shul as well as it plays in in in, in the in the larger society. Again, I don't want to talk politics today because we've talked about politics so much the last couple of weeks, but that really is one of the dynamics that we have been discussing in politics, which is, again, it's crazy. You know, we, we are, we are uh, going to have the inauguration of the oldest uh, person ever to assume the office of president of the United States, and yet we realize that uh, uh, the, the great voices that, are, have, were, that, that pushed his election were young people, uh, people that uh, are, are looking for a, a whole different view of the way the planet should be. And I think that's <laughs> what we're talking. You're right. And, and knowing how to walk that balance. By the yeah. way, if you ever talk to people, I don't know if you have this, you ever had the exposure to this, you know, uh, these are legacy institutions, you know, where, uh, and, and, and I don't know if they're really as popular as they once were, but, you know, golf club, you know, one of the sure. so they're Jewish country clubs. Right. I know, I know. I've done some hashkochas there. I've done. Right. I've, so, I've, oh, I've overseen hashkochas at. So you understand? Clubs. You you talk to the people. It's the funniest thing. You talk to the Jews who run the country clubs. It's the same dynamic as a show. In other words, you have younger people and older people. You have all the past presidents who feel they built the place and therefore should continue to have a say. Versus the younger executive that certainly you know contributes, but uh, you know they they weren't there from uh, from from the beginning. And you have the same dynamic. It's it's a dynamic of old versus young. I'm sure you have it in businesses. And uh, and I think there's no if younger people can be respectful and older people understand that you have to give the younger people uh, the room uh, uh, to, to lead. It, it can work out. But of course, you have people who who are younger people who don't know how to have their parents who don't know how to show respect. But you have older people who continue. You know who are. Uh, you know, who, who still feel the need to have their opinions listened to, uh, not just listened to, but adhered to. So you, you, so it's a problem. It's a problem in every arena. You but know, again, I, the snowboard I, question shows a little bit different. And I want to get back to what you really wanted to talk about, which was, it, in other words, the old time community, why are people got up to, you know, you know, we're all together and, you know, and the younger people, everyone, it was, it was an organic process of eight. Is, is disrupted by some of the things we do now, which is, you know, we go to Florida for a few months, uh, we go to Israel for two months, and and and, and the notion of Kehillah has certainly been dented by the modern, the wealth, uh, the ease of, of of escaping. And by the way, I think we mentioned this a few weeks ago, maybe more than that, when I was talking to you about a bar mitzvah, right where. Families who, who've been in your shul for 20 years or something has a bar mitzvah, and instead of doing it in the shul, they want to go somewhere. Like they want to go to a hotel to do a bar mitzvah, or Israel do a bar mitzvah. And when you speak to the younger people today, especially about the notions of community, and even though you know Mr. Schwartz sitting there, who you don't know who you barely said good job is to, he has seen your kid grow up. He deserves the nachas to see the bar mitzvah, <laughs> right? Which I believe, I believe that strongly. That's a killer because. Every Jewish child is, 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 they're all our children, right? And, and that's just how it was. You're in a community, you, you see the kids grow up, you see, you get nachas, and this escape from community to do a, sim, a private similar. It's part of the same dynamic where 
Kehillah is dented by our prosperity and our and our ability to to escape and, and to be elsewhere. And between spending several months somewhere winter and several months somewhere else in the summer, you're in the uh, you're in Manhattan. You're in uh, you know you're in uh, Palm Beach for three months in the winter. You're in the Hamptons for two months in the in the summer. I mean, so people don't have that address. A lot of people have lost that sense of rootedness. Rootedness is lost, and that's a and that's a, a pervasive problem. Right, and, and I so think it diminishes responsibility and solidarity. It's exacerbated by the actually our very first conversation that we had, if you remember, uh, on the on principle program about shiurim. And 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 where do you go? Does the is the shul servicing you in, right. in a total way? The virtual realities that that exist, the multiple platforms, also chip away at this, as we've as we've as, as we've said. And therefore, especially coming out of COVID, I think there's going to be a, a reorganization that we talked about, and and shuls will suffer. You know, speaking about that, you know, Montreal, wonderful Jewish community for years. Uh, here in Jersey, in the Northeast, in Chicago. Um, but, you know, if you think about it, um, there are a lot of people who say, why, even at a young age, should you have to deal with uh, snow and ice? Right. We know that the housing market in Texas is, 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 is wonderful. Florida, the taxes and, and other things you have to put up with, you remember, the giant palmettos. You remember those. <laughs> you remember the, the cockroach that ate Cleveland. You remember how giant those palmettos were there. Um, they name an expressway after the giant cockroach. I don't know why exactly. <laughs> but, but, but the point is, is that you have places to go. And you wonder, hmm, maybe as we consider post-COVID what our city should look like, maybe the debate again should be, should be, should be raised. Does it really make sense? I mean, the investments that we put into these into these northeastern places, maybe there should be this idea of moving towards, if it's if it's possible, no, and there won't be any snowbirds. Everybody will will live the temperate. Now, now, let me let me just balance that by something I mentioned to you before we started recording. It's one of my favorite Svarnos. You know, when the Svarno tries to think about what changed after you know Noah's time. Uh, at, to afterwards, why did that generation uh, of Noah? Why were they the most uh, the most terrible uh, and Why did they almost destroy the planet with their ideals and with their sexual uh, picadillos and everything? Well, picadillos is a, is, a, is a euphemism for what they were doing, right? They were actually, yeah, they were getting it on with all the animals, etc. Like, no, 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 right? No, the point yeah. is, why did it change? <laughs> And what 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 is going to stop the human condition from reverting to that? So the Sferno says the Pusik in Parsha's Noach that says that there's always going to be these seasons that are clearly demarked. There's going to be car cold. There's going to be home. There's going to be heat. There's going to be period of intense kayats like at the end of the summer where all the fruit is drying up. There's going to be Periods in the early winter, or where 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 you have crops that are choref that are going to come out. So, in other words, the Torah describes seasons which the Sferno says did not exist beforehand. And of course, this Sferno, as you know, is used to explain the age of the world. That maybe the the way we do carbon dating is based on the uh, the fact that the world went through a change, but before the flood, things were different. 
Anyway, the point this Ferno is making is that when you have a temperate climate, where everything, where you don't have this winter times, you don't have this 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 boiling summer, that mankind is actually is actually ill served because there's so much free time, so much ability to sort of just enjoy yourself. Your your baser your the baser instincts come out. So that's the debate. Should we should we should we? It's going to put you out of a job. Maybe I think you'll get a job wherever you are. But it's does it make sense to maybe think? Hey, what do we need this northeast with all the snow for? Oh, I'll tell you something funny. A quick two things. I'll I'll say. You remember you and I. You remember Florida in the nineteen seventies? Yes, we were both in yeshiva there. So, in the nineteen seventies, Florida was empty in the summer. It was a ghost town, right? You could you there weren't cars on Arthur Garfield. I mean, it was a ghost town. Firstly, the tourists weren't around. Nobody went to Florida in the summer. And the Jewish community itself wasn't that large in those days down in southern Florida. And and also, you, I, I kind of remember you had Floridians who went north in the summer because it was too hot. It was humid. The humidity. Yeah. The yeah. humidity was... It wasn't the heat. It was the humidity. Anyway, so he... Uh, but by, by the way, I just want to, I just want to tell you during those periods, I remember frolicking on the beach, uh, together with Sida Sheinaklach, the Meisels. Uh, right. We used to, we used to run to the mikvah at the Seagull Hotel <laughs> yeah. every Arab Shabbos because it was empty and we would empty. run. It was empty. It we was had a free run of those hotels, right? We used the pools, the crown, the Saxony. We had a free run because there was no one around. There was no one around. Today, Florida became a 12-month-a-year experience for people. It's radically different. The kosher hotels no longer exist because everybody had rents a condo or has a condo. And, and uh, you know, the, the days of the Crown, the Caribbean, and the Saxony are gone. I mean, I love those places. They were great places. They don't exist. I mean, who needs a kosher hotel? we got to mention the Fountain Blue. we got to mention the Fountain Blue. I mean, who needs a kosher hotel when you have – when we were down there, were there any kosher restaurants in Florida? Yes, there and, were, but – you have more kosher restaurants in Southern Florida from Hallandale and Fort Lauderdale South than anywhere in the world. And people, and, and the people who went there in the in the winter, their kids have moved, as you say, permanently. A lot of New Yorkers have moved, not at the age of 60 or 70, but at the age of 30 down to Florida. They live there. I mean, look at, the, you know, look at uh, Boca and all these places that are huge Jewish communities today. I mean, uh, you know, when, uh, you know, Avank and Jared have to leave, uh, uh, you know, uh, Washington, they're not going to the hostile environs of the Upper East Side of Manhattan. They find a much more hospitable address in Southern Florida. They just bought a condo in Surfside and they're building a house because that is now a very Jewish area filled with Jewish schools and everything else and shoals and, and everything else. And, and it became a 20, a 12 month a year, uh, 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 reality. And so maybe you're right. Maybe that's where people are gravitated and the less people are stuck to a geography. Because of business, the more likely people are going to choose places to live that are comfortable. I mean, it's, um, I mean, you have major brokerage houses move their operations out of Wall Street to different places. And, uh, you know, and, and, and the outflow to Texas and Florida from places like New Jersey, Illinois, and California and New York is remarkable. I mean, uh, the high taxes and, you know, in, in Democrats. California, I think, is California. Is, is almost oversaturated, but Vegas for years 
was the fastest growing. Las Vegas and Lakewood were the two fastest growing cities in the United States. It's true. (laughs) Las Vegas and Lakewood, the two L.A.s. And and ironically, it was the same people. (laughs) Yeah. Look, I I remember when I landed in Vegas and saw a bunch of Chassidah Shechever. My son, when he turned 21, um, he said, take, I I gave him a, a trip to Vegas. And uh, I actually uh, let him go and gamble. The next morning, which was his, the day before his birthday, we drove to the Grand Canyon. Uh, one of my students uh, who brought me out there nominally to, to be a scholar in residence in one of the shoals a couple of miles from the Strip. Um, so I did have a little bit of my, my ticket covered. He gave me his big red pickup truck. And me and my son drove the four or five hours, whatever it was, and, and ended up Davening Vasikin on his birthday uh, at uh, I forgot what it's called Angel uh, Lookout right, right, uh, right. In, 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 in at the Grand Canyon. So, but I remember when we landed at the airport in Vegas, a bunch of guys with with, with Payas and Burt were there as well. So, um, you, know, you know the old joke. You're you're, you're the old joke. Uh, the Do only you? old listen. We're both old jokes, but go ahead. <laughs> I know myself, and I know you were. We're the. I'm the. We're we're the two oldest jokes around. But go ahead. Right. The old, it's a really old joke, and it's not even a good joke about the chassid who wakes up one morning, decides to give it all up, and go off to Dara, shaves off his beard and pays, takes off his yarmulke, gets rid of his beckishir, puts on a nice fancy suit, and takes the first plane down to Vegas. He gets uh, looking non-chassidic, I would say. Gets and takes the shuttle bus to the. Uh, to, to the to the uh, to the mirage gets off the shuttle bus and a car hits him. He was lying injured on the road, and he says, looks up to Shemayim and he goes, "Oh, you're a buddy, Shalom. I didn't even do anything yet." And God <laughs> looks down and says, "Oh, Moshe, that's you. I didn't recognize." You. <laughs> <laughs> it's an old joke, <laughs> but um, we, but we know both of these again. You know, on Lakewood, I think Lakewood, you know, has such a yeshivish heart, and and the the, the housing is still an affordable enough. Communities are big enough. Lakewood is probably going to have growth for a while, but uh, uh, unlike that sort of the artifice of the yeshiva community, which has its own uh, power, the old time communities we, we might see a shutting down of some of these larger shoals in the northeast. Well, it, what is it? What is it, what is very interesting? In other words, just like lower taxes is a draw for the general world to move to places like Florida, what is a draw, for instance, for from people is finding a state with voucher programs. And you see this dynamic in Ohio. Ohio has vouchers, where in a certain neighborhoods you get, you have to pay much less in yeshiva tuition because the, you know, because the government will fund a voucher program in places where the public okay. schools are doing well or wherever. So you have this huge influx of people to Cleveland, for instance, yeah. because of that. Uh, All right. Voucher program. So you have that dynamic also, just the real estate costs and the tuition costs in New York push. I mean, what is what are the number one triggers of Aliyah today amongst the modern Orthodox is getting free education in Israel. That's right. You know, and if, I mean, I, I have a friend of mine. He's a doctor. He has a big family behind him. He moves to Efrat and he's still a doctor in America sitting in the basement of his house in Efrat because he does telemedicine. He's running three ICUs in the Midwest from his wow. basement in Efrat and he never has to put his pants on. You know, it, I mean, it's unbelievable. And, and and because of technology, you're able to be anywhere you want to be sometimes, depending on your career. And what's pushing people to leave New York 
is not is as much the bad weather as it is high tuition costs. So, so I, I, you didn't take my bait on this, and, and I just want to close off here. Sure. You didn't take my bait on the advantages of the Torah when the Torah writes, it's good to have these seasons. It's good to I have. I don't know. I can't figure that one out. I didn't take that because I was confused by it. I'll tell you why. I'm not sure what it means. I don't know. I've always lived with seasons. I know that Israel's seasons are much less dramatic than Montreal's <clears throat> seasons. So I don't really, I'm not, there's no, I mean, listen, <laughs> culturally, we do associate warmer climates with a more of a relaxed lifestyle. And, you know, whether it's California or Vegas or Monte Carlo, it's, after the Sparta certainly does seem to have a point. And when you think about it, that place, <clears throat> places that enjoy beautiful weather the whole year round are not generally associated with rigorous discipline. Let me put it that way. Right. And, and so he has a point. I just don't know how it plays out. I mean, I can some Jews have lived in some really weird places. And, you know, I was in Vilna for Shabbos once in, in, in the 80s, in the summertime. And I don't understand how people live there. Because Shabbos wasn't over. Ever. I mean, you went to sleep and the sun was still up. I mean, I don't understand what was going on in Vilna. I still don't get it. I'm sure if I look hard enough, I'd figure it out. But I, I, I didn't make up the whole until I woke up Sunday morning. Wow. I mean, it, it's impossible. You know, it's still light. And, and, and we and we know the postkim spoke about the intense cold, which basically obliterated the mitzvah of, of sleeping in the sukkah. So right? right. Well, again, it, it was you know, I mean, there's uh, you know, there, there was uh, you know, the, the Styrus Butler, and that was probably the reason. Very few. Although there was one group who 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 made up a story about it being religiously triggered, you know, because of. Well, and again, and, and that also, so, so I agree with you. If we look at Eretz Yisrael as the template, so maybe what the Sforno means, it's got, we, in moderation, but, but the extreme, the extreme conditions of Montreal, uh, Chicago, or many of the other places we talked about are really unnatural. So really, it, it, it maybe isn't a bad thing about this. Well, I'll tell you something funny, you know, I'll tell you, in all my years of Montreal, I can't think of any time we closed because of the weather. And that was what's astonishing. In other words, I would wake up in the, mor- in the morning, we would dive around a quarter to seven in the morning, and there'd be a new blanket of 18 inches of snow that you had to push through and drive through and everything else to get to, to get to show. And people did it. I mean, every single time. I've, I've been amazed at like it was in other words, you would almost be mocked for being a weakling if you didn't do it, right? It's the snow. You live in Montreal. This is what you do. But I'll tell you that one of the most most common things that you would hear on a day like that is a younger person saying, "Is why didn't my Zayda come here? He could have gone anywhere. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. It's, you, you hear that a lot. But, um, sure. but it's it, cold. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, it was certainly, it's almost like a macho thing in Montreal. Like, no matter how bad it is, we're going out. No matter how much snow there is, we're getting to Shoal or we're going wherever we have to go. I'll tell you one of the things that um, I, I sometimes think about uh, is, like you say, there's the effort and there's also the time. You know, the, the, the greatest gift we have, our, us old timers, realize is time. The amount of time that it takes to even put on a second layer or to shovel out or to scrape the windows there is something to be uh, argument to be made about the advantages of making use of that, of that time and, and doing it in the best possible way. And I think that's, um, you know, on one hand, if, if you are living the life of the mind, 
That's another half hour you could have learned. Another right. half hour you could have taught. But like the Sforno says, if you're not predisposed to to doing Avodah Hashem, then maybe it's okay that you have to struggle to get things done. And maybe in that struggle, that itself uh, changes you, makes you appreciate the shul, makes you appreciate what you had to go through to get there, and, and maybe even gives you a love of the other people around you who who have gone, who've done the same things. Sort of like, um, I'm sorry for putting salt in your wound, sort of like the people in Green Bay who, um, who <laughs> when it was snowing, uh, would go all to the stadium and everybody would go help to to, to you know, make I, sure I, make sure the snow, like the whole sixty thousand people of the city, would march to Lambeau Field to to clean the snow off together and share in uh, the glory that was the green and gold. But I want to tell you something. I was in Green Bay for a football game, and you, you have to go. I mean, you have to go. You have to go to Green Bay once in your life to see a football game, and. We, we, it was a group of us. We were at an afternoon game in Green Bay and a night game in Chicago. No, actually, I may be wrong. It was an afternoon game in Green Bay, but Monday night in Chicago, the next day in Chicago. You remember who the Packers were playing? I don't remember. I, what they, I don't remember the ending. I don't remember. And it was so cold in Green Bay. I can't tell how cold it was. But, you know, the stadium was wonderful. You walk in and there's a lot of warm places to, you know, to hang out and you watch it. You know, Green Bay is a beautiful I mean, it's just unbelievable. It, it, but it was so cold, a deep winter. It was in December, deep winter. Anyway, so we, we, we got, we left Green Bay, then we went to Chicago, slept overnight in the hotel in Chicago. We woke up in the morning and the headlines in the Chicago tabloid were coldest night in Chicago's history for Dick. One of these crazy weather headlines, right? And we were going to Soldier Field that night. And we're all in layers in it. But I, the cold, I have never. And I've been in some really cold. I've been in Winnipeg in the deep winter, Alberta and Montreal. I've had cold. I have never in my life like felt cold as I did sitting there at <laughs> the football game in Soldier Field. I mean, it went right through you. It was cold. It, it was, was really right by the lake there. Well, as oh. you can, but but again, I think you know, as, uh, you can see you know how people become uh, tethered and invested through that struggle. And they, they end up, I guess, I think loving, look, you can't compare, uh, you know, an LA Ram fan to a Buffalo Bills fan oh, or wow. right. The, 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 it's not just because there's so much to do. And when, when, you know, the winter struggle. Yeah. Anyway, let's hope we can uh, <laughs> have some of that as well. Investiture. Uh, and you know, we're with, all rooting for green Bay because nobody wants to see Brady and other people. No, it's, yeah, I, yeah, I know he's one of your, uh, ant, he's the Antichrist. Um, and <laughs> we'll talk about global warming on the next program, perhaps. Yeah, right. All right. Take care, Rabbi Pupko. Be well, everybody. More Emeritus Rex coming up next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 